Welcome into Unsportsmanlike Conduct on KALA HD2 and the 106.1 FM dial. I'm Logan Howell. With me, as always, is David Meyer. David, how are you tonight? I'm doing great. How about yourself? I'm doing really good. Uh, excited to get into some NBA playoff news that we have. It's a pretty good series so far uh, in the early going. But before we get started, we're going to take a look at our Athlete of the Week. This is our final athlete of this month. And the play NBA playoffs, like I said, just got started. So we're going through the best NBA playoff performances. And our final performance was from Magic Johnson. In Game 6 of the 1980 NBA Finals against the Philadelphia 76ers, Magic Johnson, after being thrusted into the center position as a point guard because of an injury, put up an all-time performance. With a chance to close out the series, Johnson turned in a double-double with 42 points, 15 boards, and 7 assists. The Lakers would go on to win the game 123-107, to and that was to win the series, a game six, and Johnson went on to be named the finals MVP as well. That concludes this Athlete of the Week for this month. Be on the lookout for next week's Athlete of the Month. So now, in the NBA mood, NBA playoffs, we're going to get right into it here, going with some NBA talk. Last week, we talked a lot about the play-in tournament. And we were talking about Lakers-Warriors, how excited we were to watch that game. Well, now that it's happened, it was a phenomenal game. A really good one. One of my favorites so far in these playoffs, or play-in, if you want to call it that. Looking back at that matchup, Lakers versus Warriors, what stuck out to you in that game? Just how close it was. Throughout a decent bit of the playoffs we've seen so far, there have been a lot of blowouts. A couple close games, but... I think so far, this has been, or that game, that Lakers-Warriors was one of the better ones. It definitely, it had that playoff intensity, which I think some people worried might not have been there for playing games, but they, they were definitely playing hard. Yeah, and what stuck out to me is something that a lot of people realized down the final stretch here of the NBA season was truly how unguardable Steph Curry is. I mean, he's going up against a team with LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and he's single-handedly keeping the Warriors in the game. He really didn't have all that much help. And one shot that he had right before halftime, dribbling around a bunch of defenders and just tossing up a three, and it just went in. And that's just kind of what Steph Curry does, is he makes all these crazy shots. He's the best shooter of all time, and he really put it on display in that matchup. And I also found it pretty interesting looking at that Lakers versus Warriors dynamic. Everyone talked about the LeBron versus Steph Curry rivalry going into that game. And it was almost like the roles were switched in a way. Because other than the first two finals, you had Kevin Durant with the Warriors. And the Warriors were clearly the better team in both those series. They're the best team in the NBA. You could argue possibly the best team of all time. When you look at that team together, LeBron James was the one that had to score 50 points. Keep his team around. And he wasn't able to do it. And he lost the series. He was able to pull out, I think, one game out of both those series. Got swept the second time and got won the first time. It kind of What stuck out to me was Steph Curry now was on the opposite end of that. LeBron James has Anthony Davis and uh, KCP and Dennis Schroeder, Mo Harrell. He has these guys that are helping him out. Now the roles were switched. It was LeBron's turn to just come in and make the final shots. And that's what he was able to do. His three-pointer that he hit as the shot clock was winding down was phenomenal. One of the best shots of his career, and that's going to be one that you remember about LeBron James, was that shot that he had. And it was his turn to do that. 
And it also was interesting to me how similar it was to Kyrie Irving's shot over Steph Curry that won the 2016 finals as well. Both those, if you look at a picture of both those shots, it's fadeaway threes and Steph Curry right in their face, and they still make it. So that's kind of what stuck out to me in this game. And now you talked about it being one of the best postseason games so far. Are you willing to say, out of all the postseason games that we've seen so far, that it was the best one? Yeah, I'm I'm willing to say it was the best one. It it had that do or die intensity to it, even though you know whoever loses would go on to play the Grizzlies. It had that feeling of winner go home that we haven't fully seen all that much coupled with it being a close game. Warriors Grizzlies is up there as well, but it didn't have the same amount of hype going into it. It, it turned out to be a better game than people thought, but there wasn't the hype leading up to it. So I'll say Lakers-Warriors was the best playoff game so far. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it was the best game so far as well. And when you look at these other postseason games, there's been quite a few blowouts. And some series are already starting to run away with. You look at the Nets, Celtics starting to run away with that series. The Bucks, Heat, they're running away with that series. We haven't really seen a very good series yet so far. When you look at the Mavericks, they've had two good games, but they are up 2-0 on the Clippers. I'd say the closest thing to that Lakers-Warriors playing game would be the Hawks versus the Knicks, just because it was such a good game. Came down to the very end. It took a Trey Young shot, a floater at the end to win it. And also, you look at the, what was going on after the game as well. The crowd chanting at Trey Young, Trey Young calling out the crowd. And then tonight, as the Hawks took the floor, MSG booed the Hawks as they came in. So I just think that playoff environment is would be awesome. But I got to say, Lakers-Warriors is the best so far in terms of just pure talent on each side of the court. I get excited for Steph Curry versus LeBron James. I'm, I, I don't get all that excited unless it's a very, very good game for Julius Randle and the Knicks. I mean, good team, but there's not a whole lot of hype going into those matchups. So I'm excited to see how Game 2 goes for them. But for me, I'm with you. Best postseason game so far. And you talked about the next matchup, Warriors versus Grizzlies a little bit, and how good of a game that was. Were you surprised to see the Warriors not even get into the postseason? Yeah, I was surprised. I think it really boils down to the injuries they've faced, and they couldn't overcome that, which is definitely tough to see given the performance that Steph Curry had throughout this entire season as well as uh, those final play-in games. Definitely, we talked about it a lot uh, last week. We both predicted the Warriors to do okay in the playoffs, but weirdly enough, after the Grizzlies won, I was thinking about it, and it feels like they have a better chance to beat the Jazz than the Warriors do. The Grizzlies feel a little more complete or mo more well-rounded, but they don't have that star player. Yeah, when you look at it, this Grizzlies team, I'm excited for them because John Morant's a guy that I want to see flourish in the postseason here. I, I talked about last week that I think he truly is having a better career so far than Zion. Obviously, Zion's the more athletic freak of a player, but when you look at what Ja's doing, he's had the more successful NBA career. And when you look at that matchup in general, the Warriors versus the Grizzlies, you had, you had some nice talent on the court, but when you look at it, 
you talk about injuries and catching up to the Warriors. You have Draymond Green playing 45 minutes, Steph Curry playing 47 minutes, Jordan Poole playing 38, then you also have Andrew Wiggins playing 44. You have some guys that you don't want to have to play 44 minutes, 45 minutes. In a perfect world for the Warriors, a guy like Jordan Poole is not playing for almost 40 minutes. And I know it did go into overtime, but this Warriors team has a bright future in terms of getting Klay Thompson back. And also, I believe they still have a little bit of money for a max contract, too, going into this offseason. Maybe they could look to add somebody else. But it was surprising. I thought that the Grizzlies were going to get bounced by the Warriors just because how hot the Warriors were down the stretch. I really didn't see that one coming at all, but I can't say that I'm not excited. I'm I'm excited to see this young Grizzlies team. The Warriors have been the face of the NBA for like the last six years. I think it's time for a young Grizzlies team to kind of take the torch a little bit and try to make a run into the postseason. They're going up against the Jazz, like you said, who are clearly the best team in the West record-wise. And they already took them out game one. It's exciting. A young team with really nothing to lose. They weren't supposed to be here, and now they're just going on a run. They're the underdog in every single series. So, surprising, but I'm excited for the Grizzlies. I really am. And now looking at the Warriors. That loss was a big one because you were the eighth seed, so you would have made the playoffs without the play-in tournament. But now you're out. Don't make the playoffs. Are the Warriors done? Do they need to blow this thing up? Maybe. It really depends on Steph Curry, and he's he's coming into his last season of his contract, and then you couple that with Klay Thompson, who right now it looks like he might not be ready for the start of next season. So there are really kind of two paths. You load up on the team right now, bet that you can bring Steph Curry back and that Klay Thompson's going to be healthy quickly into the season and you can go for it again or you can kind of trade off the big name guys and either build around James Wiseman or trade James Wiseman for a bunch of picks and basically start over all again. Yeah, For me, if I'm running the Warriors, I'm not blowing this thing up. I'm sticking with it. Because you do have Steph Curry, and Steph Curry is getting up there in age, doesn't need a new contract. The bright sides of that is, one, I don't think Steph would demand a max contract anymore once that deal is up. So now you have more money to bring in some stars around him. And also, you Steph Curry is probably going to be the MVP of the league. He's up there, top two. I think he's going to end up being the MVP. I think he deserves it. And so are you willing to trade away a fan favorite like that? I don't think so. I don't think it's very realistic right now to do that. And you have Steph Curry, who carried the Warriors down the stretch. I think he can carry the team until Klay Thompson gets back. I think that's a very easy goal for him. And especially when you look how the Warriors started this year. They got out very, very slow and still found a way to get into the play-in tournament. So I think you wait, Clay, wait till Clay gets back. And also in terms of some pieces that might come free this offseason, if you want to go all in. Again, in the Warriors, I believe they do have a max spot available. When you look at this, Kawhi Leonard, there's a very good possibility he gets bounced in the first round of the postseason again with the Clippers. He has an option. Is he going to stick around in L.A.? I know he's wanted, he wanted to get to L.A. and he finally got there. But, I mean, this is two poor postseason plays by the Clippers the last two years. Is he going to want to stick around there? I think there's options to build around this team. 
this Warriors team's a couple shooters away from being truly deadly in terms of an offensive team. Sure, they need to shore up um, defensively, but Draymond Green also in that playing game against the Lakers played very good defense on Anthony Davis. He showed that he's still got a little left in the tank. If I'm the Laker, uh, the Warriors, excuse me, front office, I'm just not blowing this thing up. I think you ride this team until the wheels fall off, until Steph Curry's done, until Klay Thompson isn't the same anymore. Keep these guys around because these are two guys that if they make it out to free agency or are available for trade, every other team in the league is going to be calling for. So why not hold on to them and see if you can make some more run, another run at it. And now we're going to get in to our next series here. Los Angeles Lakers versus the Phoenix Suns. Lakers dropped game one, but tie the series up at 1-1 after a victory last night against the Suns. Looking at this series, 1-1 series, Phoenix takes the first game, Lakers take the second, somewhat relatively easily. They get about, about close to 10 there with about 30 seconds left. Has this series gone the way that you've expected? No, I thought it was going to be, the games were going to be closer. What we've seen, a uh, nine-point game and then not very close again. It's, I just expected closer games, but they have been hard fought. They've been very competitive up until that kind of last stretch where either team falls off or one team goes on a run. There hasn't felt like a lot of fourth quarter intensity. I have no clue who's going to take this or win this or who's going to make the big shot. It hasn't really felt like that. So it's been a little underwhelming, but I think the series as a whole has seen some pretty solid play. Yeah, I'm going to say, yeah, it's kind of going the course that I kind of expected. The Suns being the higher seed taking game one. This is awfully similar to the Lakers postseason run they had last year. They lose game one, and then they get things figured out, and they start running in the series a little bit. Getting the game two win, I think, was huge. Now they're heading back to L.A., so you're going to be at home now for two. This is a big opportunity for the Lakers. And I, I think it's... It's kind of what I expected because it's what we saw every single series except for the finals last year. That was they uh, won three and then lost another. Every single series last year in the postseason when they played a Western team, they lost game one and won four straight. And I'm not saying they're going to take four straight against this Suns team because I think the Suns are a tougher team. But it's kind of what I expected. Drop game one, Lakers figure things out, and they start running a little bit. And when you look at this Lakers team, they are nearly impossible to stop when you have Anthony Davis able to score 34 points and LeBron scoring 23. If they get a third person to step up and score 20 points, they're going to beat you night in and night out. Last night, it was Dennis Schroeder had 24 points. And also, Andre Drummond was able to have 15 points, 12 boards. So now you have a guy, Andre Drummond, who with the Pistons was kind of a dominant, kind of the number one guy on a team. He doesn't have to be that anymore. 15 points from him, 12 rebounds, they'll take that. A double-double from Drummond coming from the center position, they will take that any given night. So when you look at this Lakers team, I, I think you have to be, feel like you're in a good position. Have the series tied at one, heading back to L.A., I think you have to feel like um, you're in a really good spot. And now looking at it, Chris Paul got an injury in game one, and you saw in game two the effects. It was still affecting him in that one, but he's fighting through the injury to play 
Is Chris Paul's injury going to be what swings this series in the Lakers' favor? Uh, for me, it is. He is so pivotal to what the Suns do and how you have to defend them that with him being out, everything is out of whack. Normally, you would have Chris Paul out there distributing the ball, going uh, at pick and rolls, trying to get uh, whatever opposing team, in this case the Lakers, to have to switch their center onto you. So normally Andre Drummond wouldn't really be able to be out on the court all that often because you're just going to go at him with pick and rolls and force him to guard Chris Paul, which you really can't do. It's allowing defenders to help more off of Chris Paul and onto Devin Booker. And what's interesting is, if I'm the Lakers, I would like to see them shading him more, basically forcing him to dribble with that injured shoulder. And I I think they're not really taking full advantage of that. Yeah, when you look at this Chris Paul injury, I think it's huge in terms of the series. I don't think it's going to swing this series because I think that I thought the Lakers were going to come out with this victory anyway. So I don't have it swinging the series. But in terms of how easily the Lakers are able to win this series, it makes it incredibly easier for the Lakers to win this with Chris Paul hurt. I will say, though, the Suns did a good job. Cameron Payne last night played a big role. He picked up big time for the Suns with 19 points, 7 assists coming off the bench there. But Chris Paul with just 6 points, only 5 assists. That you that's your facilitator. That's your guy who's going to make all these plays. Obviously, Devin Booker's your scorer, but Chris Paul is the facilitator. He fl- makes the offense flow. So that's a big loss. But if the Suns want to stick around in this series, they're going to need big games from Cameron Payne consistently. Can they get that consistently? That's the biggest question mark. Because if they can get him scoring 19-20 a night, you're going to be in these games to the end. Devin Booker's a guy that 31 points... That can be a low-scoring night for him. He has the ability to score 50 points any given night. So he's going to have to take over. Cameron Payne has got to step up, and that's going to have to be consistent. It can't be game in, game off. It has to be consistent. And also talk about the series DeAndre Ayton's having so far. A great series so far for him. He had 22 points and 10 boards, a double-double for him last night. This Suns team... It was going to be difficult to beat the Lakers just because their experience and they have LeBron James and Anthony Davis, two top five players. So I don't say it swings the series, but it does make it a lot harder for them to come out on top of this series. And last week we did our, our predictions of the playoffs. I had the Lakers moving on in this series against the Suns. Now looking at this series, Lakers-Suns tied at 1-1. What is your prediction as to what happens? Who comes out on top in this series? Originally, I had the Suns winning, and I'm going to stick to my guns on this one. I, it's At this point, it's an it would be viewed as an upset, even though the Lakers are the seventh seed. They feel like a little bit of a better team. I'm just expecting that Andre Drummond isn't going to be able to keep up this performance. He has a big personality, and when we saw Anthony Davis and LeBron James come back from injury that small period of time where they were back and he had a definitely a reduced role he just needed to be kind of a rebounder and get the occasional easy bucket he wasn't really happy with that 
he wants to be the guy or one of the probably like the second scorer and he's just not that on this team so it to me it kind of hinges on Drummond as well as Chris Paul if Chris Paul can be healthy the Suns can win if Andre Drummond can really buy into being just a defense first guy then the Lakers can win but I'm sticking with the Suns partially because I just like the Suns yeah the Suns are a very underrated team and when you look at Devin Booker and Chris Paul it's a very nice duo to have for me I'm going to stick with my Lakers pick in this one and when I look at it you talked about the Chris Paul injury that's huge absolutely huge in this series and when you look at the Andre Drummond buying in that is a tough it's a tough ask for Andre Drummond but last night Andre Drummond got his first win in his postseason career. He was 0-9 up to that point. If that's not enough to get you to buy in, I don't know what is. So when you look at it, this Lakers team, I think they just have too much for the Suns to overcome without Chris Paul. With Chris Paul in the fold, I mean, I'm seeing like a 3-2 three, three, series going into the final games there. Like a very nice series. But right now, without them... I don't know what's going to happen, but the Lakers have to feel like they're in control in terms of how quick they can finish this series off. Now we're going to move into our next playoff series here. The Nuggets tie the series with the Portland Trailblazers up at 1-8 apiece. Looking at this series, has this gone the way you expected it to? 1-1? Yeah, this is... My predictions so far have been pretty accurate, which feels nice. Um... It's it's definitely been what I expected. The Trailblazers steal one early because Damian Lillard just goes off. Has a great game. Absolutely fantastic. But then you bring up that next game. He He's still great. 42 points, 10 assists. But the Nuggets are just a more complete team. If Damian Lillard isn't on the court, they're, the Trailblazers are struggling. When he is and they're not getting him open or giving him even a little bit of room to work with, they're struggling. He is pretty much almost, I'd say 95% of their offense that the Trailblazers generate is directly related to Damian Lillard. So that that's just not sustainable. I They, they put up a good fight, but I think the Nuggets are going to take this one relatively easily. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. It's the same way, same thing I expect. I had the Nuggets moving on in this series as well. And when you look at it, you talk about how important Damian Lillard is to this Portland offense. And it's that way because there isn't another true scorer on this roster. Carmelo Anthony, 10 years ago, was a true scorer. Not anymore. CJ McCollum, he has his flashes when he can be a nice sidekick for Damian Lillard. But it's not consistent. You don't know when he's going to show up, when he's not going to show up, and how many points you can really assume he can get. You look at the last game that they had here. Damian Lillard had 42 points. McCollum was next up with 21. They had one guy at 15, and then no one else got over five. Got no one else got over seven points. The rest of the team. You can't have that. You're not going to be successful. You're going to get blown out by a good team, especially the Nuggets, who are a very deep and complete team. Yes, they're missing Jamal Murray, but they still have quite a bit of depth and multiple different scorers who can kind of take over a little bit. You look at Michael Porter Jr. He's not going to be a consistent number one guy, but he can take over a scoring role if you need that. 
Aaron Gordon, very underrated player and a big pickup for them with the trade deadline. He can as well. You have Jokic, who also is in that MVP conversation. This team's too deep for Portland to keep up. And so, yeah, I, I think this is going the exact way I thought it would. Damian Lillard's one of my favorite players in the NBA, but until he gets help, this is what we're going to see from the playoffs from the Blazers. First round exits, maybe if he's able to clutch up, get you to the second round, but you're not getting any further than that. So it's difficult to watch because Damian Lillard is such an exciting player, and we'll get into him a little bit more here in just a minute. Now looking at this Nuggets team. Last year they went all the way to the Western Conference Finals before they lost to the Lakers. Coming into this playoff run, and also when they had Jamal Murray, they were considered title favorites, a team that could win it all. Obviously, the Jamal Murray injury hurt them quite a bit. Are the Nuggets still to be considered title favorites with the injury to Jamal Murray? I'm going to say no. Not favorites, but contenders. They definitely have the ability to go out there and they're. I'd say they're probably going to get to round two, but then it, it gets a little tougher. You're either playing the Suns or the Lakers, and those are two very tough teams. You do have just so much depth and so much just well-roundedness. You're a very complete team, but you you lost Jamal Murray. That's He's your second scorer, the guy who you can rely on most of the time. If Jokic is struggling for whatever reason, you're going to Jamal Murray. And without that, without a clear number two, you struggle. You you become what Portland is right now with, albeit better defense and rebounding. But with without that number two guy, that clear, fantastic number two guy, I don't think they can uh, seriously... Uh, be a favorite of this team, of this playoffs. Yeah, I agree with you. They can't. And they're a good team, don't get me wrong. Good enough to beat Portland, but they're not anything more than that. And Jamal Murray, you talked about him a little bit. Last season, in the post in the postseason, he was the guy. You look at just a couple of his playoff games, and this is a series here, dropping 50, 42, dropping 50, dropping 36, all within one series. And that was against the Jazz, who Donovan Mitchell was also putting on a show in that series. When you have a point guard who can put up that type of numbers, and we watched Damian Lillard and were in awe of the shots that he was making. That was what Murray was doing last year. He also was hitting from the logo consistently, and he was unguardable. With Jamal Murray, this Nuggets team, you could argue, is the favorite to come out of the West. And there, you look at experience, consistency, great team, great depth. It's the Nuggets. There it is. But they don't have Jamal Murray. And for me, as soon as he got hurt, I knew they would stick around the top of the West in terms of seeding, but they're not going to be able to move off into these playoffs and be successful. I I hope they do, because I do like this Nuggets team. They deserve more credit. Jokic is a guy that played phenomenal all year long, but without Jamal Murray, this team is not the same. He is the guy He on this team. He is the dude who you expect to make to step up and make the big shots at the end. So it's tough for the Nuggets. It was a tough injury for them, but I still think they can make a little noise in the postseason. I don't think they'll go down easily to any team, but they are. I do think a six-game series, round two, is to be expected. 
depending on who they get in that round. And last point here with the Nuggets-Portland series, is Damian Lillard the closest thing to Steph Curry in the league today? Yes, I think he is, and that's not necessarily a good thing right now. He's a fantastic shooter, just dominant player with the ball in his hands or off ball. I think he should be used a little more off ball right now. But right now, he has to be the guy who's carrying his team. He's had to do that for a while, whereas Steph is just doing that this year in the past uh, couple years. It's it's tough to see, but I if Steph chooses to stay in uh, with the Warriors, this could be kind of his future if they don't build around him well. But I'd say Damian Lillard is the closest comparison to Steph Curry. Yeah, I agree. I'd say Steph's in his own universe, but next there, closest to, would have to be Damian Lillard in terms of can score from consistently from any place on the basketball court. And I think Damian Lillard also is one of the more exciting guys in terms of watching Steph. He's very exciting. He's able to create space off the dribble, just like Damian Lillard does so well. These two are guys that, like you said, Steph had to carry his team this year. He's going to be getting Clay Thompson back next year. Damian Lillard's not. This is his team. Everyone's healthy. This is the roster that he has currently. I think what we have to see from Damian Lillard to put him in the same conversation as Steph is to be able to overcome the great amount of defense that you're going to get. Steph Curry was getting double and triple teamed from the logo this final stretch. And he still was scoring almost 40 points a night. I believe he finished the season averaging 32 points. He's still able to do that. Damian Lillard has to be more consistent at doing that. I know he scored 42 the other night, but there was a stretch in that game where he started to get picked up from half court by two defenders, and he was no longer a factor in the game. They needed McCollum to step up. And then once the Nuggets started to run away a little bit, you see uh, Damian Lillard get going again. For me, that's what he has to do. If he can do that, he enters the conversation with Steph Curry because he is that good of a shooter. We're going to take our first break here on Sportsmanlike Conduct. When we come back, we're going to take a look at the Mavericks Clippers series. Mavs currently up 2-0. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back into Sportsmanlike Conduct on KALA HD2 of the 106.1 FM dial. I'm Logan Howe. With me, as always, is David Meyer. And we're going to continue through our, M- our NBA talk here. Next series we have up is the Dallas Mavericks. They go up 2-0 on the Clippers. Looking at this series, are you surprised to see the Mavericks up 2-0? Uh, not really. I Honestly, I really kind of called this from a mile away. Uh, just the Mavericks, I think, are a better team. And I believe the Clippers are a little bit overrated. Just the ability the Mavericks have to really go at whatever player on the court they want. You can go at guards, forwards, center if you want. The ability of Kristaps Porzingis to shoot from the outside and really work a pick and roll or pick and pop, however you want to do that, really enhances Luka Doncic's game and is definitely a catalyst for the Mavs. Yeah, I'm not, I picked the Clippers to win, but. I'm not surprised because I should never put my faith in the Clippers come postseason time. I don't know why I do it. They've been very hyped, especially last year, and then they just 
get bounced. And the Mavs gave him a good run last year, and if it wasn't for a Chris Tops injury, probably take him out last year. So I'm not all surprised to see the Mavs up 2-0 right now. When you look at it, the Clippers are a team that they play as if they're the underdogs in terms of they like to talk trash, get in the other team's head. They're not the underdogs. The Mavericks technically are on the underdogs in this series. And when you look at it, I think there's a very good argument that Luka is the best player on the court in terms of player-wise. You're looking at Kawhi Leonard, who is a phenomenal player, but Luka's right up there with them. I think they're both top 10 players in the NBA. And then you look at Paul George. Wow. Paul George was really good with the Pacers. And he really has not been the same since. He's not really been that great with the Thunder. He's not that great with the Clippers. He's not the same guy whatsoever, especially come postseason time. He really is not the same guy. For me, I'm not shocked. I, I picked I picked him to win the Clippers, but I'm not surprised that they let me down once again. I expect the Mavs to get out of this series five, five games probably, maybe even six. It might take six, but I'm thinking five, five games the Mavericks get out of this series. And now looking at that, do you think the Clippers can fight back into this series already down 2-0? It's possible. I believe it's very unlikely, but it's possible, and you'd have to see very, very strong efforts from guys who aren't contributing as well as they should be. Guys like Paul George, who ideally you want scoring more, just being overall more efficient, having big games from Reggie Jackson, uh, and then really one of the most important players not so much scoring, but defensively. Patrick Beverly has been on an island out there on defense. Luka is just torching him pretty much every possession or every chance he gets. So you need guys to... You need to just overall play a lot better. And right now, I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. The Clippers are done. They're not coming back in this series. Um, like I said, five, six games, this series is done. They're not going to come back in this series because when you look at – they lost 127-121 the other night. You look at it, Kawhi Leonard scored 41 points. That's going up there with probably the best that you can get from Kawhi in terms of scoring-wise. 40, 41 points is nothing to sneeze at. Paul George scored 28, almost 30 points. He's not going to do all that – much better than that. You're not going to get a consistent 28 from Paul George in the playoffs. So don't expect that again. And then you look at some of these other guys. You brought up Patrick Beverly in terms of his defense. And he was very good defensively against Kevin Durant in that one series against the Warriors. And because he was talking trash and he got into Kevin Durant's head. And Kevin Durant struggled a little bit before he finally, finally got it going. Ever since that series, everyone says how good of a defender Patrick Beverly is. It's getting shown right now how good of a defender Patrick Beverly is. Luka's showing it right now. Everyone, ever since that series, has said, oh, Patrick Beverly, good defender, good defender. No, not anymore. He, Yeah, sure, he got in Kevin Durant's head, but Luka's showing you how good of a defender he is. So can you expect much more from this Clippers team? 121 points, and you have kind of three main players on this team you don't necessarily have another true scorer to help you out that can step up and score more points for you. That's about it. I don't think they can. This series is done. Um, it it wouldn't 
shock me. It wouldn't shock me to even see the Mavs possibly sweep this. I expect five games, but I would not be shocked if the Mavs sweep this series. And now we talked about Luka a little bit there. Is he the next face of the NBA? When LeBron James calls it quits, is Luka Doncic going to be the next face of the NBA? I believe so. Partially because he's a good young player, charismatic guy, has was just fantastic from the first game he played. He's, like I said, he's young, only 22. And it's just the completeness of what he does. He's scoring, getting rebounds and assists in, I want to say, the top 20 of each of those statistics this year. And there's also that kind of star factor of he's hitting those big shots, that, that clutch factor, to win games. So I, I definitely believe he's going to be the next face of the NBA. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think he very much, he has to be the leader to be that next face of the NBA. One guy that I thought can take it from him, and he still can, he just has to get into the playoffs, is Zion Williamson. When you look at what those two are doing, Luka this year averaged 27.7 points. Zion was at 27, and then Zion's 27, uh, 7 and 3, I believe, and Luka's 27, 8 and 8. These two guys have the opportunity to become the face of the NBA, but the Pelicans can't keep on letting Zion down. They need someone else to step up, they need to make some big moves. The Pelicans, when you look at this team, trading away Anthony Davis was huge, but then you get Zion Williamson, who is. He's the best young guy. He was so hyped coming out of Duke. And he's doing his part. Average 22.5 his rookie year, 27 this past year. He's getting better. Now you look at it, that team, they're not necessarily getting better. The Pelicans, if they can find a way to become a consistent playoff team, he can he can make a good run at that. I think one of the main reasons Luka is going to be the next face of the NBA, you look at some of these postseason performances he's had, They've been phenomenal. Last year against the Clippers, the buzzer beater. And then this year, the big games that he's been having the last two games. He's going to be the face of the NBA because the Mavericks playoff team, Luka, the face of the Mavericks, that's why you're going to see him become the face of the NBA. But Zion, if the Pelicans can get into the playoffs, he's going to be a highlight reel in the playoffs. He doesn't get a whole lot of attention right now in the Pelicans. Luka does because the Mavericks are winning. But also, you look at it, Luka kind of, people kind of slept on him a little bit during the regular season because everyone wasn't focused on the Mavericks team. But now that they're in the spotlight, it's back on Luka. Everyone's ready to crown him the face of the NBA, and I agree. But Zion, he's going to put up a good fight. You just have to see him in the postseason, get the magnifying glass on him and really see what he can do. Because in college, he came up with some of the biggest shots for Duke when they went on their March Madness run. It was him going into Taco Fall for the and one bucket to win the game. I want to see him in the playoffs because I think he can give a good run to Luka. And now looking at the Clippers here, if the Clippers lose this game, Kawhi Leonard has a player option. Do you blow this up? Do you just completely blow this team up and try to restart? What What do you do if you're the Clippers? It really depends on where, what Kawhi Leonard decides to do. He has that player option and can leave, go to free agency. 
Uh, Serge Ibaka has a player option. And you have a lot of your depth being able to walk in free agency if they want to. Guys like Nicholas Batum, Reggie Jackson, uh, DeMarcus Cousins, if there's some questions about how good DeMarcus Cousins can be in this league. But that's not the point. The problem with blowing it up is you don't have you don't have a starting point. There isn't a guy you can really build around on this a young guy that you can build around on this team. And even if there was, you don't have the picks for it. You gave them to Oklahoma City for Paul George. And Paul George has not been good. And you're stuck with him at thirty nine plus million a year for the next three years for if he exercises a player option. So it's it's going to be a tough time for the Clippers. Yeah, when I look at the situation, I'm going to say you don't blow it up, not because, not because you don't want to, but you can't. You can't blow this team up. You gave away all your draft picks to go all in. You, don't, you can't get a guy of the future. If you had a guy like Shea Gillis-Alexander on your team, maybe you're able to rebuild. Oh, wait, you traded him away for Paul George, and now he's a young star over for the Thunder. They don't have the picks. They don't have the young talent. If Kawhi leaves, this team is done. They would probably not even be a playoff team. You take Kawhi out of the situation here, they're fighting for a 7th or 8th seed. They're not a very good team, minus Kawhi Leonard. And what makes this Clippers team so good is the consistency of Kawhi. It's because night in, night out, he's a 30-point scorer. And he's good defensively. That's the only reason the Clippers, they're in the postseason right now. And that's why we see them kind of with that target on their back come playoff time start to get knocked out early on in the playoffs not going to make a deep playoff run so for me you can't blow this up because you have nothing to add to this team it would be if you blew that up and Kawhi Leonard leaves it would be just be bad for three to five years while you start to get your picks back and in terms of money I mean you're already paying Paul George like you said it's not really much you can really do to make this team good within the next five years if you blow things up now. You keep Kawhi Leonard, okay, maybe you try to run at it again, but we're not wow, you make it to the second round. Maybe. So yeah, I don't I don't think you can blow it up at this point. And now talking about Kawhi Leonard's future, we both touched on it a little bit here. Do you think this series decides Kawhi's future, if he's gonna stick around in LA or not? Absolutely. If they lose here, he's gone. He wants he wants a ring. He he has one, but he wants another ring. He wants to play on a talented team that's that's gonna win. I think that's what most people want. He's gotten a decent amount of money throughout his career and right now he's twenty nine, which is probably you're gonna get your last big payday at that age, your last big contract. You can get a possibly max contract, like three, four years for $40 million and really settle into a team and have that team build around you and be the center of that team. So if they lose here, or even if they win and don't make the finals, he's gone. They have to make the finals. Or win the finals. At least make it. That's the only way he's possibly going to stay. 
Yeah, this one's tough for me because I do want to say, yes, he's leaving if they get knocked out here. But I look at just Kawhi Leonard's background a little bit here. Born in California, went to high school out in California, went to San Diego State College, and then with the Spurs, when he first asked for a trade from San Antonio, where was the first team he wanted to go to? It was the Lakers. He wanted to go out to L.A. And then with the Raptors, he finally hits free agency. He's able to pick where he wants to go. He picks the Clippers, obviously, but gets out to Los Angeles. It's tough for me because if I'm Kawhi Leonard, I'm leaving. I'm, I'm out. I'm not dealing with this team anymore. But when you look at it, he's worked his way throughout his whole career trying to get to LA. LA. Are you going to leave so quickly? And I would. I'm with you 100%. I, I would be out. This team's not set up for success in the future. And they're not even the best team in LA. So if you do somehow get better, you still have to play the Lakers at some point if you want to try to get anywhere past where they're at now. When you look at it, this isn't the Raptors. You didn't get to come out of a weaker Eastern Conference and play a very injured Golden State team. You can't be just one guy and carry a team through the Western Conference. It's not like that. It just can't happen. We saw LeBron in the East with Cleveland carry his team into the championship every year. Kawhi did it as well. But the difference was LeBron played a loaded Warriors team four times. Kawhi played a Warriors team with a banged-up Steph, Klay Thompson out, Kevin Durant out, played very little minutes in that game, and Draymond also banged up. You can beat that type of team with just Kawhi Leonard, but it's not that easy anymore. So if I'm Kawhi, I'm out, but I don't know. I really think that the ties to California might keep him around. And now we're going to move on to our next series here. Now we're moving to the Eastern Conference. The Boston Celtics are down 2-0 to the Brooklyn Nets. Looking at this Nets team, the big three, I believe, scored 61 points combined there in the last matchup. Are the Nets the scariest team within these playoffs? Yes. They're, they are a very good team. They have holes on their roster. They're not the best rebounding their defense leaves something to be desired, but they're just going to shoot and shoot and shoot and shoot. They are a team that's going to put up 140 points most nights, 120 at the very least. And most teams in a game have pretty relatively consistent offenses with about like 10 minutes where their offense lulls, or around there. The Nets don't have an off switch. No matter what, there is one top 20 guy, if not two top 20 players in the NBA, on the court for the Nets. And there isn't really a way to slow them down. There isn't a way to stop them. If you're focusing on Kyrie... Uh, Kevin Durant's going off. And I really liked how the Nets, and specifically James Harden, or how they've utilized him. They've kind of put him into that passer role. And I I think that's the best role for him. He's, to me, a better scorer than Kyrie. But the benefit of his passing against Kyrie's passing is 
worlds a difference. James Harden is the best facilitator on this team, and if they utilize him like that, they're going to easily win games. Yeah, and that was the biggest question with them, is who was going to take that third scoring role, be more the facilitator? Harden stepped into it happily, and that's what makes them the scariest team for me. You look at these other big threes that we've had throughout the decade, they've kind of struggled to find who's going to be that guy. You look at the Heat, and obviously the Warriors. I mean, at that time, that was just two top three players in the NBA on the same roster. I mean, you'll be fine if you can't figure out who's going to be the facilitator. But this team, with not much chemistry, has... The Celtics were a struggling team to begin with, but Jason Tatum was starting to get hot a little bit. The Nets, I, I, I had a sweep for the Nets. I think that's going to continue. And when you look at it, it's because the Nets... They're not, they have the big three, but then also have veterans on this team. And that's the thing about some veterans in the depth. That's the thing about these veteran guys and come postseason time. You have guys like Blake Griffin, who he's not going to be consistent every night, going to be a step up huge for you, but he can night in and night out become a guy that you need to step up. DeAndre Jordan, Jeff Green, they have these players that when you think, okay, the big three are struggling. They have veterans that have needed to step up in big situations before in the playoffs, and they have. So that's really what makes them the scariest team for me because they're not just top-heavy. I mean, you would assume they would be because they do have those big three, but they're not. They're a deep team, and they they don't need to play the best defense in the world. When you have a team that your big three could go for 90 points any given night, if not 100 between the big three. You can realistically have that from this team. If they were to take the bulk of the shots, this could be a 90-point team between the big three there. So that's what makes them so scary. And now looking at this series, I said in my prediction, Celtics get swept, and I'm going to stick to that. I think they get swept. I can't. I don't even think they steal a game in this series because the Nets, They. you, you look at this, this has been a year in the making. Kyrie injured. Kevin Durant injured. James Harden forces his way to the Nets. This team is built to go win right now, and they realize that, and they're ready. They've had the people start to doubt them. They're ready to go prove that they can win it all. I don't even think the Celtics steal a game this series. What do you think? I, I think you're correct completely. They just, the Celtics aren't putting up much of a fight. On defense, they've struggled. On offense, there are big gaps where they can't really do anything, especially with Jalen Brown hurt. It's probably a sweep unless Jason Tatum goes off for 50, 60 plus. And even then, there's a question mark about how well the team around him is going to perform. And if that 60 points can be enough to match Harden, Durant, and Irving's combined point total so I think they're probably going to get swept yeah and now looking at this trio James Harden Kevin Durant Kyrie Irving in terms of the trios we've seen in the NBA since LeBron Wade and Bosch is this the best one that we've seen I'm gonna say yes it's less balanced you had LeBron who is more of a pure scorer at that time in his career, Wade, who had who could score but also facilitate, and Bosch, who was 
a rebounder and that kind of third option. You had a difference in positions, but because of the evolution in the game and how the need for positions has lessened by a lot, you have three guys who can fill in a bunch of different roles. If you want, you can go extremely small and have Kevin Durant play center. The The ability of all the, the Nets team to be five out and just kind of do whatever they want and have all that scoring talent is why they're the best trio since LeBron James, Wade, and Bosh. Yeah, I agree that they are the best duo. And I agree to the point that when you look at these three, in terms of, I, I, it's tough when you're putting them up against LeBron, Wade, and Bosh, and also Durant, uh, Curry, and Clay Thompson. It's tough in terms of, okay, where do I rank these guys? If you look at it in terms of, okay, well, I have LeBron ranked at that time the best player in the NBA, and Kevin Durant now a top five player in the NBA. No, I don't think they are in terms of that. But in terms of, am I taking those three over LeBron, Wade, and Bosh? Yes, I am. When I look at it in terms of Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, that's close. But when I look at those three, I'm going to take it still. I'm still going to go with those three over that because of James Harden and Kevin Durant. In my opinion, I like that scoring ability from both of those guys better than what you can get from the Warriors. Steph Curry is the best shooter of all time, but in terms of just just shots after shots, I, I roll with James Harden. I'll, not compared to Steph, but I'll roll with James Harden in that position. Kevin Durant versus Kevin Durant washes. Harden versus Curry, that's where it gets tough. I mean, you have to go with Curry, but then you look in the third spot there. Kyrie Irving, been there, done that. Who do you trust in the clutch? I'm going with Kyrie in that situation. I think when you look at it, I think this rivals back all the way to a Jordan, Pippen, Dennis Rodman trio. I think that's what we're rivaling here. These three, we've seen trios, but we've never seen trios like this who are consistent, playing this well together so early on, and any of them can go for 30 points. Any of them can set up and be the facilitator. This team's dangerous. They are dangerous, and I think they're the best trio of players since Jordan Rodman and Pippen were together in the 90s with the Bulls. We're going to take our next break here on Sportsmanlike Conduct. When we come back, we're going to look at the Milwaukee versus the Heat series. Milwaukee up 2-0. Is this Giannis's revenge? Don't go anywhere. Welcome back into in Sportsmanlike Conduct on KALA HD2 in the 106.1 FM dial. I'm Logan Howe. With me, as always, is David Meyer. We're going to continue to get through our NBA talk here. NBA playoffs. Milwaukee up 2-0 in the Miami Heat after the Heat last year knocked the Bucks out of the playoffs. Is this finally the series where Giannis gets revenge? Yeah, I, I think it is. And what's really good right now about Giannis's position is he doesn't have to be incredible every night. He doesn't have to be just out of this world. He can be decent. And he'll, and the Bucks should be able to advance. They're up 2-0, and overall, they just have the better team. Obviously, if you take Giannis out of the equation completely, I think the Heat are going to win, but it's close. So with Giannis in that equation, Milwaukee's going to take this pretty easily. 
And I think Giannis is going to put up one really big game before this series is over. But moving on, I I expect the Milwaukee Bucks are, are going to move on. Yeah, I agree. I, I had the Bucks moving on in my predictions. I believe it was in five or six games. But when you look at this series, in game two, Giannis was out relatively early. Only played 31 minutes, 31 points in 31 minutes with 13 boards. When Giannis is playing like that and you're able to get up 30 on the heat, he's going to be successful night in and night out. And once again, it comes down to some of those moves that they made to help him out. Chris Middleton was is more of a factor this series. Then when you look at Drew Holiday, adding him in, his defense is very underrated. And also when you look at it, he had 15 assists in game two. The way he's facilitating the ball around, setting up other guys to score, that makes the Bucks very dangerous because it was Giannis. He kind of had to just get get the ball to me down low, let me uh, work. That's how the Bucks made the playoffs last year, and that's how they expected to walk through the playoffs. The Heat said, okay, well, we're going to play fantastic defense, and we're going to be fine. The Heat are struggling defensively, and I think it is due to Drew Holiday and his ability to really set up this offense. I think this absolutely is Giannis' revenge. The heat, this Heat team is not the same as last year. It is in terms of players, a lot of the same guys. But last year's Heat team, they got on a run. They got hot at the right time. And they were a dark horse team. A lot of people forget that. They weren't a team that everyone expected to make the finals. It was a dark horse team that got into the finals because they were hot. Then they went on to lose. I, I don't say it's luck in terms of getting in, but it was definitely, I didn't think it was going to be something that was going to be consistent. I didn't think it was going to carry over into this year. And I think we're going to see a first round exit from them this postseason. And it's not shocking because it is the Bucks, but when in terms of the heat, I, I expected a step back from them because they played out of their minds in terms of that series that they had against the Bucks and to get to the finals last year. Every player on that team had career career playoff run. Drogic was playing fantastic. Bam was amazing defensively and also as a big man down low. Then you look at Jimmy Butler. Was phenomenal. Jimmy Butler was amazing throughout those postseason. Tyler Harrow was an elite shooter throughout that postseason. They had guys stepping up big that just aren't doing that now. And that's why we see them get blown out by Milwaukee. And I talked about Jimmy Butler a little bit. Is Jimmy Butler enough for this Heat team to be successful going into next season? No, he's not enough, and that's not a knock on Jimmy Butler. Right now, the Heat are just asking too much of him. You can't have someone be your lead ball handler, lead scorer, and lead defender guarding the best player on the other end of the court. That's You just can't. That's too much to ask. And even in today's NBA, if you have a great supporting cast with you and you're one superstar, you're probably not going to be able to win championships. You need to have a second star, a second great scorer next to you. And right now, the Heat don't have that next to Jimmy Butler. Victor Oladipo is hurt, and even with him in the fold, I'm not sure if he's if he's that star next to Jimmy Butler. I don't know how well they mesh, and I don't know how talented Oladipo's going to be. 
So they need to, the Heat need to add just one big star player to the roster, and I think they can compete next year. Yeah, looking at this Heat team, I thought this was answered last year. Is Jimmy Butler enough? No, he's not. Fantastic, and he can get you places, but he's not enough. You're not going to beat a team like the Lakers in the finals with just Jimmy Butler stepping up, and that was proven last year. Then you go into this season, and they did, like you said, added Victor Aladipo. That's not enough either. When I'm talking what's going to help this team out, they have good role-playing shooters, Duncan Robinson, Tyler Harrow. They have some nice shooters on the outside. Goran Dragic, even, when he wants to, is a fourth, fifth option, a decent scorer as well. You have that. You have Jimmy Butler, who's just an elite player, just a really good basketball player. You don't need, okay, Victor Depot is nice, but you need more. You need far more than that. Maybe, just throwing it out there, Kawhi Leonard, if he declines his player option. That's the type of signing I'm talking about. That's the type of move that's going to help this team, this Heat team out. Pat Riley has not been afraid to add stars in the past. Oh, I think he put together a team with LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh at one time. Brought in Ray Allen. So, he's, no, he's not afraid of bringing in stars. Brought in Jimmy Butler when a lot of people were kind of sour on Jimmy Butler. as his ability in the locker room, what he does to the locker room. Jimmy Butler proved all those haters wrong. Now let's get him someone who he can rely on. In terms of Kawhi Leonard, going from Paul George to Jimmy Butler, you went from Paul George, who is the model of inconsistency, to Jimmy Butler, who's the model of consistency. So for me, I think this Heat team, they need more. I'm talking like Kawhi Leonard more. A big, big pickup. And now we're going to take a look at another Eastern Conference in our final series we're going to take a look at tonight. The Atlanta Hawks took Game 1 from the New York Knicks. It was a Trey Young big shot at the very end that put the Hawks over top. They're currently playing very close to second-half action in that one as well. Trey Young, is he going to be the difference maker in this series? Yes, he's going to be the difference maker. The Hawks really they, they have a good team around him, but their scoring efforts live and die with Trey Young. He has players around him that are great role players, good scorers, but they the only way they're getting open and they're getting defense kind of pulled off of them is because of how much defense how much focus a defense has to pay to Trey Young. He's just that great of a scorer. He leaves a decent amount to be desired on defense, but he's he's the guy for the Hawks. Yeah, I, he is the difference maker because I think he's the best basketball player on the court. When you look at this series, he's the best player. And when, in terms of crunch time, Trey Young's proven time in and time again that he can be that guy to make all the big buckets for your team. He proved it again. Playoff series... Huge game, Madison Square Garden, Trey Young hits a game winner in game one as the fans were heckling him all game long. That shows you how good of a player Trey Young is. Yes, he's a difference maker because he is the best player on the court. He's got some nice players, Bogdanovich. He's a nice he's a nice addition to have. And then Clint Capella down low, kind of underrated in terms of what he can do. Already has 10 rebounds and about halfway through the third quarter in this matchup. But Trey Young is by far the difference maker because, like I said, he's the best player. He's going to be the one that makes the big shots at the end. Do the Knicks have that? No. 
I don't. Do you trust Julius Randle to be the one to score the buckets at the end? By default, you have to because he's your best player. Do you trust a guy like Derrick Rose? I don't trust Derrick Rose to be a consistent game-winning shot guy. And right now with the Knicks, would I trust him in the playoffs? Sure, because he is the veteran. He has the experience. He's done it before. But I wouldn't want that to be my consistent guy. R.J. Barrett, my opinion, I haven't seen enough of it. So for me, absolutely. It's Trey Young. He's going to be what decides this series. He plays well in all these games. The Hawks are moving on. The Knicks have to find a way to slow him down in any way possible. And now looking at this Knicks team, lost game one, currently losing here in game two by 10 points, halfway through the third, 65 to 55. Are the, Is this Knicks team just kind of happy to be in the postseason, or do you expect them to make a run of this series and keep this close, tie this series up? I think they're going to be more competitive in this series, but whether you win the series, it, it matters, but I think they're just happy to be there. Very few people expected the Knicks to be in the playoff conversation, let alone actually in the playoffs, and I think they have a decent core to build around. It's not as young as you would like, but there are pieces that you can use to build around and get better. So some playoff experience for those guys is very important, and that's going to add a lot of value to this team going forward. Yeah, I think I agree. They are happy to just be in the playoffs, but the Knicks are kind of in a tough situation, in my opinion, because when you look at this team, they've had guys on this roster start to have, like I talked about before with the Heat, career years, really step up and be phenomenal players. Julius Randle, career year for him. Do you realistically expect him to be just as good next year? I'm I'm not willing to bet on that right now, that he's going to be just as good. R.J. Barrett, I think he can get better. A guy like Derrick Rose has actually had some phenomenal stretches this season. Is that realistic to believe that he can consistently do that next year? There's too many question marks with this Knicks team for them to not go all in on this run. This Knicks team's fun to watch. It's fun when the Knicks are good. So it's exciting, but I th- I agree with you. I think they're just happy to be there, and that's a shame because I'm not so sure this team's going to be just as good next year. Sure, they might make the playoffs. The East is so weak. They might sneak in, but I'm not so sure that they're going to get better than what we see from this Knicks team right now. They're hot, and you have Julius Randle playing his best basketball. It's a good situation to be in. Now we're going to shift over to the NFL and get some NFL talk in here. Julio Jones, star wide receiver of the Atlanta Falcons, requested a trade in March. He's not been traded yet due to cap hit uh, complications. After June 1st, the cap hit gets spread over two seasons for the Atlanta Falcons in terms of guaranteed money. Now, recently, he had a phone call with Shannon Sharp, and it was played over live TV on on Skip and Shannon's show, Undisputed, where Shannon asked, Julio, do you want to be in Atlanta? Are you sticking around? And he said no, that he's out of there. Then they went on to ask him about the Cowboys, and he said he's not playing there either. He wants to win. When you look, first off, that conversation, do you think Julio Jones knew he was live on TV? I'm going to say no. Just the reputation he has, he's 
very, like, I don't know the best way to put it, but he's always been a team first guy. Never complained all that complained all that much. Always been very team oriented, and he's he's even like requested a trade, and there hasn't been a big Antonio Brown esque charade around that, and to completely alter from that so thoroughly makes me think that he didn't really know what was that it was on air yeah for me it's tough it's really tough because i agree with every point you just said every single one of them but also i look at it from a different perspective would shannon do that to julio would he put him on live tv like that julio jones knows that shannon does a show every single morning like that is would he just assume that, oh, he's not on air? I'm, I'm not sure. I would like to think that he didn't because, like I said, when you look at it, it's not like him whatsoever. But on the other side of it there, Julio Jones asked for the trade. I, I believe it was in March. It's been a while now. He's still not traded. We're almost into June here. And, yes, they are waiting till June 1st because that's when the cap hit will get shifted. It won't hurt them as much. But he asked for the trade back in March. He's been wanting to get to a new team. OTAs are now starting. It, maybe he would like to get traded, and he's going to voice that publicly now. Would you do it for a friend, Shannon Sharp, who's trying to also get that show built up? I mean, obviously, it's a very common show to watch in the sports world, but trying to get their numbers up there with what Stephen A and Max are doing, there's a good way to do it get Julio Jones to come on live like that. The way he went about it, I'm not sure, but I also think that there's a good chance. I'm going to say that he did. I'm going to roll with that he did know he was live just because I can't picture Shannon doing that. And also in terms of it, I think he's trying to find a way to go to force his way, get the trade done, but also not Antonio Brown-esque. Like you said, this isn't on an Antonio Brown type level. I mean, he's not holding out. He's not freezing his feet there's a he's not complaining about a helmet there's a lot to this he just went on live tv and said that he's leaving does it hurt the compensation that land's going to get back absolutely now teams know he's going to be he's going to be traded and i think everyone knew he would get traded but now it's like okay i won out and i went out badly teams are starting otas i'd like to get my to my new team start practicing start learning that playbook a little bit and i just talked about the compensation it would for julio jones what type of trade package do you think it would take to get Julio Jones at this point in the offseason? Something big. Even with him saying he wants out, it's going to be a lot just with his caliber of player. Most likely a couple first-round picks. I'd say something similar to... Uh, the original demand of what the Falcons are going to start with is probably going to be similar to what teams are offering uh, for Russell Westbrook or Russell Westbrook, <laughs> Russell Wilson. There it is. Uh, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers. There's not a whole lot more than you can offer for that. 
there is a max offer, essentially, and I don't think you can go past that. For me, it's it's tough because it is Julio Jones. It's one of the biggest names in football. It's the top-tier guy. But I don't think it's going to get as high as everyone thinks and everyone would like it to be because I look at a few different factors here. One, I look at where we're at in the offseason. A lot of teams already have their roster set. And yes, Julio Jones is the type of guy that you'd be willing to switch around your roster for, but in terms of picks, you just had the draft. So if you moved up in the draft or anything like that, you're not missing picks. So teams don't have that type of compensation to give out. Cap space, teams are up to their 90-man rosters. Every team's up to their 90-man roster right now. So cap space-wise, in a salary cap down year, don't have the money to make that move. So now that limits the teams that would be interested. And also, it's Julio Jones. But you look at his age. He's, I believe, 32, going to be 33, I believe. And then you look at last year. was one of the first years where he didn't even play 10 games within the season. Starting to deal with a hamstring, which is not an easy injury to get over. Something that tends to stick around with you. I just think there's too many factors for Atlanta to be able to swing a first-rounder right now. I think... Personally, for me, I think a two, a second rounder, and a third, and maybe like a, f- a fifth or a sixth gets this done. It could be a couple twos, couple threes, but I, I don't think a first rounder gets um, gets sent over for Julio. In terms of the teams with money, draft capital, I think we're going to realistically see, and also you look at it now, this late in the offseason, Atlanta's just trying to get everything they can. They can't even afford their rookie class. That's why they're trading Julio Jones. They cannot afford their rookie class. They have no leverage in this whatsoever. I truly believe a two and a three gets this done and gets Julio Jones on your team. And it doesn't have to be a two and a three in the same year, a two this year, a three next year, or a two the next year and a three uh, this upcoming year. I think realistically that gets it done. It's tough to think about because this Julio Jones, but you look at guys like Antonio Brown, older, um, different situation because he was trying to force his way out there, but compensation was lower. Odell Beckham brought in a first-round pick, but at the time he was 27, coming off the injuries. So, I think it's I think it'll be a two and a three gets that done. If not, maybe even a little less than that. And now we're gonna take a look at three teams that we think will go after him. And David, you go ahead and go first with your first team that you realistically see Julio Jones landing with. All right, uh, the first team I had is the Colts. I think they're in a pretty solid position just in team overall, they can probably compete for a Super Bowl depending on uh, how Carson Wentz does. But the receiving core is one of their areas of question. And they have just a little under uh, what they need for the cap. But if you include a player in that, you can kind of swap cap hits and you'll be able to afford Julio Jones. So I think it's a possibility and a good landing spot for Julio. I would imagine he wants to go to a team that can win. The Colts were prime Super Bowl contenders. With Andrew Luck, he retires, so they're up in the air. But now, if they can have good quarterback play... They're going to be one of the best teams in the AFC. Add a Hall of future Hall of Famer and Julio Jones to that, you're for sure playoffs. 
Yeah, the Colts are a perfect landing spot for Julio in terms of what they're willing to bring in. They're willing to trade the house for a guy like Julio Jones, his caliber, and also a guy who's going to do everything the right way in terms of being a football player. He's going to be a model model athlete for your team. They traded the 13th overall pick for DeForest Buckner last year, and that's the same type of way. Just a leader, a veteran, a guy who does everything the right way. That makes sense with Julio. For me, my first team that I think could end up with him and team I'd like to see it would be the 49ers. When you look at this team with San Francisco, you have the Jimmy Garoppolo, Trey Lance situation going on right now. If you want Jimmy G to succeed so you can trade him off later, why not add in Julio Jones? If you want Trey Lance to succeed and make things a lot easier on your rookie quarterback, why not have an offense with a loaded backfield of Raheem Mostert, Jeff Wilson Jr., Trey Sermon, Elijah Mitchell, another, and Wayne Gallman? So now you have five running backs who are capable of being uh, a decent running back for you, especially in Kyle Shanahan's offense where running backs are so, so easily to come by. Then you look at the receiving core, Brandon Ayuk, a rookie who did pretty good last year. Then also Debo Samuel, who's used in so many different ways. You have George Kittle, a top two tight end in the NFL. There's a lot of weapons on this team, but adding in Julio Jones makes it that much better. Make things easy for Trey Lance. Because when you look at it, Julio Jones, his best seasons in his career came with Kyle Shanahan. His best season in the NFL came with Kyle Shanahan, 2015. 136 catches, 1,871 yards, and then had eight touchdowns to go with that. Eight touchdowns tied for the second most in his career. The catch-wise was number one, and yards-wise was number one as well. Kyle said repeatedly how much if a guy, he uses Julio Jones as an example the past few years. If a guy like Julio Jones is available, you go get him, whatever it takes. They're a team that doesn't have the draft capital, but when you look at it, if it does drop down to a second, third round pick, that's where you enter the conversation. So I think a team like the 49ers could be what pushes a first round pick for Julio because they're going to offer a two and a three for him probably. And if you can't top that, you're going to have to give up a one at some point. So for me, I love that fit in San Francisco with Julio Jones, Kyle Shanahan, and Julio back together. And then you look at the quarterback situation you're going to help out whoever steps on the field there. So now we're going to go to our second team, and David, go ahead and say yours. I'm going with the Chargers. They're a good young team that has money and uh, draft picks to spend or trade away. It's really a perfect fit. It's kind of similar to the Colts, a young team that – is looking to take that last step into playoff contention, Super Bowl contention. And I think that's kind of the ideal landing spot for a veteran guy who's being traded out of a bad team. It it just seems like it works for both sides, and the Chargers have the money to make it happen, and a top-tier young quarterback that's trying to develop and putting great weapons around him is the best way to make that happen. Yeah, and Chargers are another good spot for him. Keenan Allen, Julio Jones together, that would be scary. Also adding in Mike Williams as the number three wide receiver there. That team could be very dangerous. For me, I'm going for my second team, the Baltimore Ravens. When you look at it, a lot of people question Lamar Jackson's ability to win through the air. 
If you want to silence those critics, why not add Julio Jones, a guy who consistently gets open, a tough player, and a guy who makes contested, contested catches all the time. Julio Jones would step right into this team, be number one wide receiver, and you'd go from the worst receiving core in the league last year to arguably the best this year. You have Julio Jones, Sammy Watkins now, and now Hollywood Brown gets to step into the third wide receiver role. That's a dangerous trio right there. And it starts with Julio, top three receiver in your lineup. And you look at also Lamar Jackson in general, his ability to run is going to stress defenses because they like to load the box against him. But now with Julio Jones, you have to respect the pass. You can't load the box against Lamar Jackson. And when you're worried about Julio Jones running through your secondary and your safeties and corners are focused on Julio, Lamar Jackson has the speed to make you pay. He can hit the second level so quick, and if you make one wrong step, he's going to run right by you. So this Baltimore offense would be a lot more dangerous than what we've seen so far. I realistically, I wouldn't like to see him there just in terms of offensive coordinator-wise. I'm not a huge fan of Greg Roman and what he does with his offense. The tight ends tend to always be the focal point, not the wide receivers. He would have to have a major shift in his philosophy for me to want this to happen. But you just look at it in terms of what they can do. Greg Roman shifts his philosophy. This team could be very dangerous. And they already are a top team in the AFC. This would instantly vault them right up there with the Kansas City Chiefs. I think there's a gap a little bit between the Chiefs and the Ravens and a few other teams in between there. Julio Jones shoots the Ravens right up there with the Kansas City Chiefs. We're going to take our last break here on Sportsmanlike Conduct. When we come back, we're going to look at our last team, a piece as to where we think Julio Jones will end up. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back into Sportsmanlike Conduct on KALA HD2 and the 106.1 FM dial. I'm Logan Howell. With me, as always, is David Meyer. And we were going through our teams that we think make sense, and we'll go after Julio Jones this offseason as he's supposed to be traded June 1st, just a couple short days from now. And now we're on to our third team. David, who is your last team? The Patriots. They have just a little under the required amount to uh, spend on Julio, that cap space, or just around it. Uh, but no matter what, a free agent, a trade, Bill Belichick has that black magic, that crazy dark magic, that shenanigans that always have the Patriots playing well or just squeezing every last ounce of talent out of players who you didn't even know were in the league anymore. And I, I can see that happening here. Julio is still incredibly talented, but you add him to what this team, what this Patriots team is looking like doing, looking like they're going to do in this upcoming season, it's, it's going to be a scary Patriots team. Yeah, the Patriots make a lot of sense. They're still in need of a true number one wide receiver for Mac Jones, especially at this point, Cam Newton, Mac Jones, whoever they roll out there. A true number one receiver would be a massive upgrade for that Patriots team. For my third team, I went with a little bit of a fun team here. Something to think about, not necessarily the most realistic, but you look at the Cleveland Browns. Adding in Julio Jones, they have the money to do it. And that's the thing about cap space. You can roll it over into next year, but it got announced today that the cap could get as high as $208 million next year. 
when it was at it's at 182 and a half right now. That's a big jump in terms of money. Cleveland has 20 million right now, and you're gonna need 15.8 this year and 11. Point, I believe six the next two years to be able to keep Julio under contract. Why not use some of that money now, knowing the cap's going to shoot up next year to try to go all in on a Super Bowl run. That's the thing about this season. Going all in is going to be huge because when you look at it, a lot of these good teams in the last couple of years had to lose major pieces because they couldn't afford them. Now you have an opportunity to really, if you're a team with cap space, to build your team up and go for a ring this year. And you put Julio Jones, Odell Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry, Austin Hooper, David Njoku, Kareem Hunt, and Nick Chubb on the same NFL field. I don't know how you would stop a team like that. Julio and Odell are both receivers that demand a double team. You have Jarvis out of the slot. There realistically is not a good way to stop this team. And you have a young quarterback in Baker Mayfield who is ascending, who's getting better. You want to see him be at his best? Give him a nearly unstoppable offense and see what he does. I think they have plenty of space to do it. I think you have to make that move if you can. Add in Julio Jones. Go win this thing because you have to play like the Chiefs. You have to beat the Chiefs to make it to the Super Bowl. The only way you're going to beat the Chiefs, put up 35 to 40 points and hope your defense makes a few stops. Julio Jones gives you that opportunity. Now, our next topic here tonight is Aaron Rodgers. He's been the topic ever since a day before the draft. He said that he would like to be traded from the Green Bay Packers. Just recently, he went on ESPN with Kenny Mayne, and he talks about how it was not the pick of Jordan Love. It was more the people who run the front office that he has his issues with. It never was Jordan Love. He said there's things at the top that aren't right. Hearing these comments from Aaron Rodgers and him not showing up for camp, he's in Hawaii with his fiance and Miles Teller, Are you? would you be worried if you're the Packers? I'd, I'd be worried, definitely. As a Bears fan, it's great. I love it. Uh, but from the Packers' point of view, if Aaron Rodgers is not on your team on the field week one you're you're panicking everything is out the window your season could be completely wrecked if he's not playing you have to do whatever it takes to keep him on your team as your starting quarterback i'm i'm not exactly sure what that would be but you need to do it yeah, I'd be worried, especially now, if it was before the draft and you knew this was happening. No, you don't want to lose Aaron Rodgers, but trading him away, getting a high-end draft pick, and building your team that way. to get Because there's reports that Jordan Love isn't what the Packers were looking for, hoping for. Trading one team that we know made an offer, the 49ers, at three overall. Trade up the three, go get your quarterback of the future, a guy you trust in. And build that team up. It wouldn't just have been the third overall pick. There would have been some players with it. Some other stuff in that trade. Build this team up. But now we're into OTAs. Teams are set. Like we talked about with Julio Jones. Yes, teams are going to make a move to bring in Aaron Rodgers. But realistically, can you expect the same trade package that you would have come draft time? I don't think so. It's still going to be a high price tag with Aaron Rodgers. I mean, it's quarterback coming off an MVP season. But I don't think it would be as high as it would have been the night before the draft. And also, another part of this that you have to be worried about is not a single Packers wide receiver showed up to OTAs either. 
They all did not come, and Jordan Love was actually forced to throw to some guys that they had to bring in for that practice, not wide receivers. For most of the practice, then guys they brought in. That is a problem. You, the receivers are showing the front office, hey, Aaron, Aaron's our guy. Treat him right, give him a new contract, and now they're trying to, but Aaron Rodgers, he's not really settling for that at this point. I'd be worried. This could be a tough year for the Packers, especially if they lose Aaron Rodgers because Devontae Adams is going to be a free agent at the end of the year. He won't be back if Aaron Rodgers isn't on this team, especially if they don't handle this situation any better than they have so far. And now looking at it, coming to training camp, is that something we realistically see Aaron Rodgers doing this year? No. I Not at the beginning of training camp. I think maybe he shows up halfway through or maybe shows up for some preseason games, but I don't think he's going to spend a lot of time around the Packers organization at at all in any aspect. And for him, I don't think training camp really matters. So I think he's going to no-show there. Yeah, unless something big happens in these next couple months, he won't be there. He's not going to show up for that. And we've seen the frustration so far. I mean, he's asked for a trade. He's not just going to show up for training camp just because he can. I think when the pictures came out of Aaron Rodgers on this vacation that he's with now, to me, it looked like pictures of someone who is enjoying, in quotes, retirement. That's kind of what the trip he's on right now. He's not retired, but at the same time, that's a guy who's ready to kick back a little bit. He's looked at his NFL career and seen what he's done. He's not afraid to hang it up and call it quits, and retire. The Jeopardy host, and that's something that he really wanted to do. I truly believe that Aaron Rodgers' retirement is a true option for him right now. So unless something big changes before training camp, no, he won't be there. And to be honest, the Packers might be lucky if things stay the way they are right now. They're going to be lucky if he's there week one, to be honest. And now moving on to another NFL legend, Adam Vinatieri retired today, the longtime Colts and Patriots kicker. He's had some of the biggest moments in NFL history. Where would you rank Adam Vinatieri in terms of kickers all time? I'm probably putting him at number one. He's just been so clutch for so long. He's the all-time NFL leading scorer. That's that's pretty much where I'm gonna where I'm gonna stop any sort of argument. He has four Super Bowls, twenty four years, and he's spent more time in the NFL than I've been alive. That's a little terrifying, but he's he's the best kicker of all time. Yeah, for me, I'm gonna say right now, I agree. He's the the best kicker of all time. I do think he gets passed though. Justin Tucker from the Baltimore Ravens, he's been fantastic. Right now has the best field goal percentage of all time. I think by time, when both their careers are all said and done, Adam Vinatieri will finish number two behind Tucker. But right now, yeah, you rank him a number one, not in terms of not in terms of best kicker just with the leg, but in terms of his incredibly clutch gene that he had his whole entire career where he always stepped up in the big moments. I mean, look at some of those early Patriots Super Bowls. It was him leading the charge in those. 
So for me, yes, he's the best kicker of all time right now, but I do think he ends up getting passed by Justin Tucker. And now, talking about Adam Vinatieri and some of his biggest moments, what is your favorite moment from Adam Vinatieri in his long, long NFL career? I think for me, it's... I don't remember what year it was, but against the Raiders, that just incredibly snowy game, and to be able to hit a field goal that long in those conditions is just incredible. There were some, you know... Uh, Patriots questions that how they cleared the space for uh, the the placement of the ball, but at the end of the day, he made that kick in incredibly terrible conditions, and that's that's incredible to me. Yeah, the Tuck Rule game with the Raiders leading the Patriots to the first Super Bowl. It doesn't happen without that kick from Adam Vinatieri, and it. They were out there, called the timeout, clearing the snow for him. But it is. It's a phenomenal kick. And you look at these Patriots dynasties, it might – you look at Tom Brady in general, we might not have the Tom Brady we have today if Adam Vinatieri doesn't hit that kick. If that – you could, I guess Raiders fans are also would argue that if the tuck rule wasn't a thing, we also wouldn't have the same Tom Brady. But looking at Adam Vinatieri, he's kind of what helped Brady spark his career early. He relied on him a lot. And that leads me to my favorite moment of his. After the Tuck Rule game, we see them play the Super Bowl. Brady's first Super Bowl against the Rams. Who was it that delivered the clutch kick to win it? It was Adam Vinatieri. I mean, we think about it. Seven seconds left, Super Bowl tie game against the greatest show on turf. And Vinatieri goes out there and makes the kick that sparked the Patriots as what we know them today. Adam Vinatieri was the spark of that. He was the clutch player, and yes, Brady took him down the field in that Super Bowl, but it was Vinatieri that sparked Tom Brady's career. Weird to think about. It was Brady, it was Vinatieri, excuse me, that got Brady and the Patriots going, but nonetheless, a fantastic career for Adam Vinatieri. And now looking at how the Colts are going to move on here, Rodrigo Blankenship, kicker from Georgia, that's who the kicker is, he was for most of this season for the Indianapolis Colts. Do you think he can fill the shoes of Adam Vinatieri for the Colts? To some degree, yes. He's going to be a in my my predictions for his career. He's he's still young, so obviously this can fluctuate, but I think he'll be a solid kicker. Just a guy who you're not going to have to think about too much, which is for the most part, what you want your kicker to be. Vinatieri is just on a whole nother level that projecting anyone who has been in the league for, who hasn't been in the league for that long, is almost impossible to do. I think Blankenship is going to be pretty solid. He does have some clutch kicks, especially against the Packers, but he's he's just too young to be able to project Vinatieri vibes onto him yeah and I'm I'm looking at this in terms of what he does for the Colts and I think he will in terms of what Vinatieri did for the Colts Vinatieri with the Patriots was next level clutch kicker that's where he got most of his accolades but with the Colts he was a very consistent kicker and a guy who didn't have the best leg but was a very consistent and he made the game winners 
Blankenship, he is that for the Colts. Consistent kicker, hits the game winners. I think he's only going to get better in his career. I mean, you look at Vinatieri's career, no, Blankenship probably won't hit that. But in terms of what Vinatieri has done the last five years for the Colts, absolutely. Blankenship will be able to fill those shoes well. And you look at this last year with Vinatieri injured, Blankenship stepped up big for this Colts team. When he was, was asked to him to go out there and make the big play, he did every single time. So for me, I do think he's going to fill those shoes of Vinatieri with the Colts and not in terms of career. And the schedule got released a couple of weeks ago, and there's some phenomenal games on that schedule at that. Look at some of the bigger games, Bills, Chiefs, and then also Packers, 49ers, Browns, Chiefs. Weird that the Chiefs are in there so much. Must be a really good team. When you look at this schedule, we're going to each go five games that we are very excited to see. We'll start with you, David. What's your first game you're most excited to see? Week one, I'm going to... I'm just going to go in chronological order. Week one, Chargers, Washington football team. I'm a big fan of really what they're doing in both teams. They're young. They're just solid all around. The Chargers on offense, the football team on defense. And they're looking to take that next step forward. And week one is really important to see who's continued their success from last year and who was kind of a one-year wonder. And I think that's going to be a very good game with the Chargers uh, going against Washington. Yeah, For me, I'll stick with my week one game as well. Browns at Chiefs, for me, I think that's going to be a phenomenal matchup. You look at this Browns team trying to vie for the top team in the AFC. If you want to do that, you're going to have to go through the Chiefs and it's an arrowhead. That's the perfect situation for the Browns. You want to see where you are as a football team? You're going to get a very tough test week one against that Chiefs team. Rematch of the divisional round just from this past season where the Browns were very close to winning that game. Yes, Mahomes got injured, but the Browns were incredibly close to advancing to the AFC Championship game against the Bills. For me, I think it's going to be a phenomenal game. You look at Mayfield versus Mahomes. That's kind of what we're looking at in the future here in terms of We've seen these older quarterbacks. These are going to be their final couple years here. We're going to be a shift in kind of the faces of the NFL and those top-tier QBs within this league. I think Mayfield and Mahomes are going to be two that we see over the next 10 years kind of dueling within that AFC. Now, second game you're most excited to see this year. Uh, I'm going right to week two. Kansas City at Baltimore. Two top teams. Great offensively. It's it's going to be a shootout, and there were just just so high level of play for both teams. It's going to be really fun to watch. I think those are, I'd say, one and two for the best teams in the AFC. Baltimore might be a little lower depending on how certain players perform, but that's I think that might be the best matchup throughout the entire schedule. And another one that I am very excited about is Bills at Chiefs. It's the Chiefs once again, but you look at this Buffalo team, it's a rematch of the AFC Championship game, and just the star power on the field in terms of quarterbacks, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, that's two top five quarterbacks right there. Then Stephon Diggs and Tyreek Hill, that's two top six receivers, top seven receivers in this league going against each other. 
And then the defense is the Bills, in my opinion, are underrated defense, but you're going to need to have your best performance against Patrick Mahomes and this Chiefs team. The Bills, another team trying to take that top spot in the AFC away. No better place to try than at Arrowhead. Week 5, and you look at that Week 5 spot of that game. These teams are going to start to catch a groove by Week 5. First couple of games might come out a little bit slow, especially with just three preseason games. We saw the no preseason games last year. Teams come out just a little bit slower than normal. They're going to be getting into the swing of things. I expect a very good game, a nice shootout in that one. And I don't expect the Chiefs to win by a couple scores like they did in the championship game. The AFC, I expect it to be a lot closer than that. And now go to our third most exciting game of the year. Uh, I'm going week six, Miami versus Jacksonville in London. Those London games are always an interesting time to watch. Everything's kind of out of whack. And weird stuff can happen. And these are two young teams. Miami, I think, overperformed just a little bit last year. And Jacksonville, hoping they have their future franchise quarterback. I think these two teams can be very good in the AFC. And putting them in a neutral location in Europe is just adding more fire, more fuel to that fire. Also a rematch, the national championship game from 2019, Lawrence versus uh, Tua in that one. And my next favorite matchup of this schedule, it's hard not to. This is my favorite, and it's hard not to be my favorite. Week 4, Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers travel back to New England. Tom Brady's return game to New England. You know Bill Belichick has had this game scheduled on his calendar since Tom Brady signed with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He's been looking forward to this matchup, and the same goes for Tom Brady. We've seen the Patriots, they went out and had a big offseason, and I completely, completely believe that it's because they saw Belichick watch Tom Brady go to a new team and within year one, walk to a Super Bowl, and go out and beat a Chiefs team that everyone thought was going to be the next dynasty. Walk in there and beat them. Belichick said, okay, we're going to stack our team up. We're gonna, I'm going to show that, okay, I can win a Super Bowl by myself too. This is going to be such a fun matchup. I know Tom Brady's already hyping it up on Twitter a little bit. He's had some comments about the games. I think this is, it may not be the best matchup of the year in terms of game-wise. I think the Buccaneers are a far better team than the Patriots, and they'll probably end up winning by more than a score, but just just the hype that's going to go into this game. Tom Brady back in New England for the first time, not as a Patriot. And also, when you look at it this way, Tom Brady, if he wants to beat his 32nd team in the NFL, to say he beat all 32 teams, I, he has one crack at it. The Bucks and Patriots, unless they play in the Super Bowl, only play once every four years. So he's got one crack at this unless they meet in the Super Bowl. I just can't picture the Patriots making a Super Bowl here before Tom Brady calls it quits. Now we're going to move on to our next most exciting game. David, what is that for you? Week 14, Chicago at Green Bay. It's late enough in the season that there are playoff implications. And, you know, obviously fan favorite with Chicago. And then your better rival in Green Bay late in the season. I think these are going to be two playoff caliber teams if Rodgers is... In, still in Green Bay, and that's just, there's not too much more you can ask for in a game. 
For me, I'm going to go to week 11 here as Indianapolis Colts travel to Buffalo to take on the Bills. When you look at that matchup, Colts, Bills, Colts are a very underrated team. I think that team's going to, they're going to be better this year than they were this past season. Going up against a Bills team that I also think is the same way. I think they get better this year. Josh Allen improves if he even can do that. He was phenomenal, MVP caliber this year. I think he gets even better than that. This Colts team has a fantastic defense, and it starts up front. That front seven of the Colts is loaded. You look at Darius Leonard, all-pro linebacker. DeForest Buckner, all-pro defensive lineman. And their secondary is really kind of the underrated part of this team. They, this year, also made a couple moves to help this team out, get better. So I think the Colts are going to be a dangerous team in the AFC, especially with Carson Wentz. He was playing like an MVP with Frank Wright before he tore his ACL. Can he get him back to that? Frank Wright's betting he can. So for me, you have Carson Wentz versus Josh Allen. Stephon Diggs going up against that Colts defense. There's just a lot of storylines to like in this matchup. And not to mention, that's two of the top teams in the AFC going at it. Later in the season, You in terms of looking for the first round bye, home field advantage, I think that could be on the line here in Week 11 with the Colts and the Bills. Now we're going to take a look at our last matchup that we like this season david who is it for you week 18 last game of the regular season seattle at arizona division rivals playoffs are on the line there's really this is just the pinnacle of nfl rivalries you are are vying for a playoff spot versus someone in your division on the last week of the season. I think these two teams are going to be very good. Uh, one kind of ascending and one going downhill. It's it's going to be a great game to watch. Yeah, for me, in my last game I'm most excited about is Week 13. Los Angeles Chargers travel to Cincinnati to take on the Bengals. When you look at this matchup, Justin Herbert versus uh, Joe Burrow for the first time Hopefully Joe Burrow stays healthy and both of them can be healthy in this matchup. But when you look at in terms of it was always Burrow and Tua. It wasn't really Herbert. Herbert was the clear number three in that draft class when it came time to who was going to be picked first. Now, in terms of which quarterback's performing the best, after year one, I know Burrow was hurt. Justin Herbert is number one right now. So for me, a matchup against these two teams, I think it's going to be very fun to watch. And if you don't think this game doesn't mean something to Joe Burrow, people are saying, oh, Herbert's the best quarterback from this class, best QB from this class. Burrow has something to say about that. He's a very competitive guy. I'm excited to see how he responds in that matchup in Week 13. That concludes this episode of In Sportsmanlike Conduct. If you're on social media, be sure to give us a follow at KALA underscore UC on Instagram and Twitter. And if you're on Facebook, look for us at Unsportsmanlike Conduct. Give us a like and be sure to check out for who our new athlete of the week will be next week for the month of June. Thank you for listening and good night. See ya.